0: Lord, we're so grateful uh, that in your house, there is a place for those who trust in you, for those whose faith is in you, for those whose hope is in you. And Lord, uh, it's not something that we can can see at this moment, but we're reminded of your promise to us, and we put our hope in your promise to us. And so, Lord, it gives us confidence and it gives us courage to know that there's a place for us that's not part of this world. Uh, there's a home waiting for us that's totally different than anything that we've experienced. And Lord, we, we can experience um, a little foretaste, a little foreshadow of it here through the presence of your spirit, but there's so much that we don't. We don't know and don't even understand about the glory of being in your presence. Uh, But Lord, I pray that today you you would speak hope into people's lives and you would give people strength and Lord, you would encourage people today. And as we focus on that word hope, oh God, it would grow inside of us and it would be something tangible even though we can't touch it it would be something that drives us forward something that gives us confidence to face the days ahead lord i pray for those today who are who are dealing with various kinds of of pressures i think of those who have gotten news from doctors and it's not been good i think of those lord who are financially stressed in this in this bizarre season that we live in. I think of those, Lord, and the Christmas season coming is not necessarily the most exciting one to face. And I pray, Lord, that you would give hope to people and you would help us to focus on you who never changes, on you who never cheats, on you who never deceives, uh, on you, Lord, and in you there is no sin, there is no darkness. There's no deception. You're not out to hurt us, God. So I pray you'd give hope to people and you'd give strength to people as we approach thoughts of Christmas today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much, guys, for leading us this morning in worship and Viano and Sean and Simon and Benga, who you don't see, and Sarah, who you don't see, and Janet, who you don't see. But thank you guys for coming in. And we do this right here. We're at the Bible College in Longay, and you are the audience today. You are the online audience. Last week we were in uh, the movie theater, and so we had an an online audience, and we had a, a present with us audience. But today you are it. And uh, so we're doing this to serve you, and uh, we're so glad to be able to do this, and we're just thankful for our Bible College, Institut Biblique du Québec, for making this happen and allowing us to use their chapel. You can visit them online at ibq.ca for more information. They do have courses in English now, and uh, so that might be interesting for you. And as always, want to say hello to any first-time guests that are watching today uh maybe you're someone shared this feed and you're watching it maybe uh you discovered us somewhere online and you're watching if so can you be brave and text the key phrase reach the one with no spaces to 514 and i will send you a little something in your email You'll get all of the uh, announcements about the church on your phone or in your email inbox, okay? Uh, you can visit us online at citypointchurch.ca for all of our content is there. You can do just about everything through our site. Keep on praying for our missionaries, Michelle and Louise Charbonneau in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. Uh, and you can follow them online. They keep up to date pretty well at uh, Haiti Ministries on Facebook. Or you can visit their website at haitiministries.com. Also, Don and Marie-José Man, as they, of course, await travel restrictions to be removed so that they can get around the globe and teach leadership, which is what they're working on right now, all of that content. Thank you so much for your giving. Uh, You've been so generous to the food bank and uh, given hundreds of dollars And that goes to help uh, people who are in need, including people within our own assembly who we've been able to help out. Sometimes the hardest thing is to say that you're in need and uh, you but, you know, people, you know, families, maybe you yourself on the other side of this camera. uh, You're struggling just for just to put food on the table. And if that's the case, uh, please reach out to me and I will confidentially connect you with the food bank. And our church has given money to support that need and um you'll have you'll have food on your table and that's one thing uh that you don't have to worry about uh because of the generosity of uh, the people here at city point um and also uh, people have been giving to of uh, these christmas boxes that we prepare for families at good shepherd elementary school in brossard And we're going to have 20 uh, this year. I think that's the highest we've done. And uh, those boxes are worth, I don't know, I have to check about $150, $200 of all kinds of Christmas snacks and goodies. And it just makes families feel like they're important uh, at Christmas when a church says, hey, we're giving you this for free. And uh, we just want to bless your household and let you know that you matter to God uh, here at Christmas time." Okay? Thank you for your support and your giving. You do that online through citypointchurch.ca slash give, and we can also accept uh, e-transfers, and you know that already, okay? So thank you for being generous. Today, we're starting a new series called Discover, Rediscover Christmas. Uh, If there was ever a year to be appreciative of Christmas, it would be the year 2020. So we're trying to uh, discover good news in troubling times, and this is part one, and we're going to take this right through till December the 20th, okay? Uh, I have a question for you, and those of you who are who are watching on uh, Facebook, uh, you can answer this question. On YouTube, you can answer as well, but we've got someone managing the Facebook page, Um I have a question for you. I'd like you to participate today, and I'd like you to use that little sidebar, that little comments bar, because there'll be a lot of this today, all right? You are the audience. Um, I'd like to know where you were when you first realized that COVID-19 was for real. For real. Because when we heard about this virus, uh, we kind of, I think, didn't know what to think of it at the beginning because it seemed to be uh, relegated into in one nation in China. And um, so, but there came a point where it became real around the world and real for you and real for me. Where were you when that happened? In fact, there's a whole slew of things in the year 2020 that you could you could ask that question about. But where were you when you realized that COVID-19 was for real? Uh, I remember where I was, I was at home and watching the news, seeing that they shut down the province and seeing that we would not be able to do church in the normal way. Uh, Movie theaters were closed. Everything was closed. At that time, all the stores, they shut the stores down too. It was a lockdown, the strongest lockdown we've had so far. Although right now in this second wave, it seems to be even more cases than there were in the first wave, but that's when it became real for me. And I remember our Bible college intern was still with us, and we were like, well, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do like a service online? Well, we've been already doing online yeah, but how do we do like worship? And we had to figure all of this out in the in, at the last minute, and we were going to actually use the, the Bible college here uh, uh, to, as a sort of a stream site and then uh, someone in our band got sick, and we didn't know, well, what if they have the virus? Well, we can't do that, and then we came up with this idea kind of by accident. Well, you record a part into your, you know, your phone at home, and then we'll send it to the next person, and they can record a part, and then we'll mix it all together, and we'll come up with this audio track, and then you can run it out of your house with the audio track, and put the camera on yourself out of your house, and you can kind of do a sort of a internet house church online kind of hybrid deal like that. And so it became real when all of a sudden you couldn't meet with people anymore. So use that little comments um, uh, on the side of your screen there and let us know what's been going on. And I'll see you. I'll track with my phone. If you'll pass me my phone over here, Uh, I've got a lot of questions for you this morning, so I'm going to see what those answers are. won't embarrass anybody here, but uh, where were you when COVID-19 first hit? Um, Okay, good. All right, some some answers are going to start to come in here soon. Um, So we're going to talk about uh, hope today. Along that line, you say, wow, you know, 2020 is not a year that we could think of the word hope. Uh, This is a picture on your screen of a tweet from uh, Premier François Legault last night. Uh, You'll see it on your screen there. You see 2020 with little masks there for the zeros. And then 2021 with a mask and a syringe. So it seems he's hopeful And the culture is somewhat hopeful now of a vaccine. And it's sort of like hope is on the horizon, you know, and uh, maybe a vaccine is, is coming. But if you look at the whole year of 2020 and you try and sort of juxtapose Christmas themes in there and hope and peace and joy and love, it's a real stark contrast. So the year 2020, out of a sci-fi movie, you know, you've got record fires happening all over the world. Do you remember the fires in Australia that killed hundreds and thousands of animals and laid waste acres and acres and acres of land? Do you Remember that? That was the beginning of 2020, the floods that we have seen in 2020. Of course, a worldwide uh, a, a pandemic, or the Bible uses a term in some translations, pestilence, right? I mean, it sounds like this apocalyptic movie or something, economic collapse resulting in mass unemployment, political upheaval, and division. I mean, look at what's happening in the nation just south of us and continues, to just get more and more dramatic and more and more bizarre as the days go on and more and more tension, more and more anger, Uh, cultural upheaval. We've seen this around the world with uh, 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 upheaval against uh, systemic racism and other things, Uh, racial reckoning, murder hornets. Have you heard of these two-inch long hornets that they found in Washington State and I think in British Columbia? I mean, you look at the report of those things, it looks like it's out of some kind of crazy movie on Netflix. But that's the year 2020 so far. How do you talk about hope in such a year? And that's why Christmas is so important. Let me read to you uh, some answers Uh, For for one person, um, uh, COVID-19 became real to them when they were at home and the prime minister's wife tested positive for COVID-19. Remember that? Seems like a long time ago. Here's another one who said at home March 13th when my husband was told at work that he could no longer go to work. That's been the experience of many people uh, hearing it on the news, watching the news. I mean, the media day in and day out, hour in and hour out, 24-7. You can doom scroll about all of this stuff going on in 2020, of course, with COVID-19 leading the pack. And here we go with Christmas. It's a great time to rediscover Christmas and this is the beginning of uh, the season that's traditionally called Advent. And uh, Advent is a is a word we don't often use, but it basically means a, a arrival or presence. You know, sometimes when new technology comes on the scene, we use the word Advent. We say the advent of this new. Sony PlayStation 5 console, right? For those of you who like video gaming, right? It's the advent of a new console or the advent of something has come, the advent of electric cars or hybrid cars. Well, when we talk about advent in a biblical sense, we're talking about the presence of God with us. And uh, traditionally, the advent season is we try and slow life down a little bit, and we try to prepare ourselves and put ourselves kind of in the minds of the people in the time of the Bible as they were preparing for the Messiah to come. What would that have been like for them? And then He finally came, and we call that in theological terms sometimes His first advent when Jesus walked The earth, as we read about in the Gospels, that we'll look into uh, today. But there's also the second advent of Jesus, and we anticipate the second coming. I've had people ask me, as we look at this list of things that took place in 2020, I've had people ask me, is this the apocalypse? You're a pastor. Is this the end of the world? Is this the book of Revelation? Is this the seven years of tribulation to come? (laughs) I've been asked that question. I'll give you the short answer. No, I don't think it is, Uh, but I've been asked that question. But in Advent, you slow life down and you say, well, let's put ourselves back in their shoes. Maybe their shoes aren't so different than our shoes. Maybe we need to focus on the meaning in a theological sense of Christmas and not just the cultural meaning. Now, it's nice. Uh, the premier has given us, you know, four days. We're allowed to celebrate Christmas, you know, de- de- December 24th, 25th, 26th, and 27th, you can have gatherings of up to 10 people, yay! And, of course, the Jewish folks are not too happy about this because what about Hanukkah, their holiday around this season? And other religious faiths are saying, well, uh, how ca- what about, how come Christianity gets to lead the pack here, you know? And so there's all kinds of controversy about that, Quebec being a secular state, etc., etc. Uh, But when you talk about Advent, you're saying, okay, what is the meaning of God with us? How did those people feel back then? How do I relate to that today and the presence of God? So we're going to talk about hope and peace and joy and love. And finally, about Jesus, Uh, we'll do that and conclude this series on December the 20th and hopefully On the 20th of December, we will meet again to wrap up that series over at uh, the Cineplex just as we did last week. So it would be nice to get together again as we conclude this series. So we're working on that. Uh, But today we want to focus on hope. And it was interesting watching the news this week as we saw, uh, you know, People get excited about a couple of vaccines that are looking really promising. And we hear these terms of, you know, 90% efficient and 95% efficient. And, uh, you know, everybody's excited and the stock market's going up and all of this excitement and hope for a brighter day, hope for a brighter day. I love science. Coming from a science background, let me explain to you the super cool technology they are using for these vaccines. Uh, What they've made is what they call messenger RNA, and they put this in a vaccine. And what messenger RNA does is it's a molecule that assembles proteins. And uh, this particular messenger RNA that both Pfizer and Moderna have uh, created, essentially, uh, can make, the protein spike that's on that uh, SARS-CoV-2 cell. Those famous spikes that you see everywhere on pictures, news reports, those spikes. And so this really smart messenger RNA goes into the body of the person and starts creating these, or synthesizing these molecules, these spikes. And so the human body predictably its immune system, which is wonderfully designed by God, kicks into gear and starts to create antibodies because it says, whoa, there's, some, there's a foreign thing in here and I need to, to protect myself. And so it develops these antibodies that recognize these spikes. And so if a person does actually get the real SARS-CoV-2 uh, virus, Uh, they will already have the antibodies to destroy it. And so what they did in these tests that are telling us 90%, 95% efficient, is they have two large groups, tens of thousands of people. This is what they do in phase three trials. And you've got half of the people who are given a fake vaccine. There's nothing in it, but they don't know. And the other half are given the real thing. And they watch the people. And they say, well, let's see how many positive tests we get. Well, what they found was they got about 100 positive tests out of 40,000 people. tells you how healthy those people were, quite healthy. Uh, But they got about 100 tests. And lo and behold, they only were able to obtain five positive tests or so from the group that had the actual um, vaccine in their bodies the other lot you know 95 90 95 people they didn't have any vaccine and so that tells tells the, the science wow you've got a you've got a vaccine that's quite efficient there and as far as vaccines go that's highly efficient so hope is on their horizon and people get excited and they say maybe we're going to get out of this thing and, and, and but that's just a that's a vaccine and that's a pandemic what about the hope we have in God and in the idea that God is with us. So that's what we're going to look at for a few minutes uh, today. I wonder, again, using your, your comment section there, can you name, and I sent a, a message out yesterday to tell you to do this, but can you name some people from the original Christmas story? The original Christmas story. I'm not talking about, you know, a nice Netflix movie about Christmas. I'm talking about the actual Christmas story, the story of the birth of Jesus, the first advent of Jesus from the Bible's New Testament. And you only have to read four chapters uh, to, to see the actual Christmas story as it's presented in the Bible. And this is from Matthew 1 and Matthew 2, and you can, you can cheat even and not read the boring genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 if you don't want to. I find it to be really interesting genealogy, but you don't have to read that. So really you're reading like a chapter and a half of Matthew and two chapters in Luke, Matthew 1 and Matthew 2. Luke 1 and Luke 2. You might want to take your electronic Bible or your paper paper Bible and just plop it open in front of your lap right now and see if you can name some people from that original Christmas story. So go ahead and send in uh, your, your comments there. And as they come in, I will, I'll start reading them off, all right? And if there's any tech issues with the feed or whatever, bear with us and we'll try to recover it. Uh, we seem to have a stable Internet connection uh, today. Hope is on the horizon, right? But when you think of that original story, well, probably you're going to get Mary, right, the, the, qu- the quote-unquote mother of Jesus, and while, while you're on Mary, you're probably going to get who? Uh, yeah, I can hear you. I can hear you say it, but type it in your screen there. You're going to say Joseph, right? Who is the quote-unquote father or, well, not really father, but kind of a, what would you call him? I don't know, stepfather or something of, of, of Jesus, right? Because the, the scripture te- clearly teaches that Jesus was born of a virgin, Now, don't confuse that because I've had that conversation with somebody in recent weeks. Don't confuse that with what's called the Immaculate Conception. The Immaculate Conception is not the virgin birth, all right? The Immaculate Conception is an idea out of Roman Catholic theology that Mary herself was born without sin and that Mary uh, is essentially holy and perfect in nature. That's a Roman Catholic construct you 're not going to find that in the pages um, of the New Testament, but that's a theology that that they that they uh, follow but the virgin birth is this idea that Jesus was born of a woman who was still at the time at least a virgin and we know that Mary and Joseph had several uh, other children afterward they're listed for us in uh, the pages of the Gospels so you got Mary and Joseph you probably got some it starts with a W. W-I. Wise men. Yeah, okay, some of our techies here. Come on, give me some comments, you guys, on online. The wise men, as we sometimes call them, or the magi, if you want to get fancy uh, with the term. And we sometimes think that there was three, but the Bible doesn't say there was three. There probably was more than three. And these guys were from the far East compared to uh, Jerusalem. And they were a sort of combination of astrologer, stargazer. Essentially, they believed that that there would be things in the sky that would communicate information to us. And they took this very, very seriously. They're from the area of Babylon, several hundred miles away from Jerusalem. Here comes some answers. Christ, Mary, the shepherds. Good, right? Remember those shepherds taking care of their flock by night, probably sheep that they were taking care of, the wise men. And a few months before, we have someone who mentioned Elizabeth, Right. Elizabeth is the mother of John the Baptist, distant relation to Jesus and Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. Right. John the Baptist is mentioned really good. Someone else said Mary, Joseph, Gabriel. Right. The angel who brought the news. Uh, that all of this was coming and that and that the Messiah was coming, Elizabeth and her baby John. good, okay, You're still missing the ones that I want though. and uh, they are there in Luke chapter two. Uh, I'll give you a little bit more time. All right, you've got the... the uh, here's a really good piece of homework for you. Angels, yeah, good. You still aren't there yet, though. Uh, here's a really good piece of homework for you, and we did play this last year when we were meeting in the movie theater. Watch the series called uh, The Chosen. Uh, fantastic, free, um, uh, entirely crowdfunded series about Jesus. The first season was eight parts, I think, and now they're almost finished funding and producing the second season. You probably will need to download an app on your tablet uh, to do this or your phone. I think it's called The Chosen App. Fantastic depiction of Christmas and uh, the, the general contours of the gospel story outstanding and free. Someone said Herod. That's good, Herod the Great. He wasn't so good, but that's good. You've got another person there. That's not the person that I'm looking for, though. Um, Keep going, all right? Uh, Yeah, there's another one uh, that you're along the lines of Herod his name, uh, heavenly hosts, okay? Yeah, you've got a great company of the heavenly hosts. You're starting to get warm, okay? You're in the right vicinity. Keep reading in Luke chapter 2. So, you've got the heavenly hosts. Um, in Greek, the plethora strata could have been tens of thousands of angels uh, when, when Jesus is born. That's good. You've got Herod the Great, that's good, but he's not so good, right? Uh, he he uh, eventually went on to to slaughter all of the, the, the infants in Bethlehem, uh, sort of with one fell swoop to see if he could if he could uh, uh, execute. This baby who was supposedly the king of the Jews, very threatened by this. Uh, we know that Herod the Great, that's entirely in character because we know some things about him. And he was quite fond of executing people who he didn't like. Uh, okay, someone is getting really, really warm. It starts with an A, and that is Anna. Anna in Luke chapter 2, all right? So I'll put it on the screen for you now. You've got two people who really are examples of hope at Christmas, the first Christmas, if you will, and that's Anna and Simeon say, Anna and Simeon, who are those people? I never heard of them. I never saw them on any Christmas card. I don't see them on any manger scene. I don't see them in any Christmas movie, although they appear in one or two. I mean, they're kind of obscure people in the Christmas story. But they are superb examples when it comes to understanding hope. And this is from Luke chapter 2. This is right after Jesus is born. And by the way, if you inspect Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2 carefully, you are going to see something rather startling, and that is that the the day, or we're told in Luke that it's a night uh, that Jesus was born, the uh, wise men weren't even there, or the Magi weren't even there. And uh, I know they look, re- it looks like a great Christmas card, you know, and they got all their costumes, and whenever we do sort of live Christmas musicals and pageants, we put them all in there, and you've got your wise men, and you've got your shepherds, and you got your donkeys, and your sheep, and you got Mary, and you got Joseph, and it's oh you know, and it's this whole Christmas deal. But when you read the Gospels, you don't see that exactly. You see uh, a lot less glitz and glamour, you see a rather dark story of this couple kind of running for their lives immediately after Jesus is born. They're going here, there, and everywhere. You've got this raving maniac leader in Herod the Great trying to wipe out Jesus as soon as he's born. You've got a kind of a dirty scene there. I mean, shepherds weren't necessarily... Uh, the prettiest of folk. They weren't the most trusted of folk, and yes, yet they were the people who the angels appeared to to announce the birth of Jesus, a massive company of these angels. It, You know, you've got this young lady, young girl probably. She probably was a, a teenager at best in that culture. Uh, Jewish couples were betrothed at very early ages, and she's pregnant. Awkward, right? (laughs) She has not been with a man yet. In that culture, that would have been very frowned upon, really awkward situation. So, there's all kinds of weird stuff. It's not pretty and glorious and glamorous. It's kind of, to be honest, it's kind of raw. And after Jesus is born, you see the typical Jewish customs being followed here In uh, Luke chapter 2, starting from verse uh, 22, I'm going to read it there. Hopefully, you've you've got it open, either your electronic Bible or your paper Bible. Um, Well, I'll start at verse 21. On the eighth day, and that would have been the eighth day after Jesus' birth, when it was time to circumcise him, according to Jewish law, um, he was named. They would also name the, the boy at that point. He was named Jesus. The name the angel had given him before he had conceived. Uh, Jesus is a Greek uh, word for Joshua, which basically means uh, Jehovah saves. So this is a very specific name that they were supposed to give to Jesus. It was common at that time, as common as Joshua is today. uh, But that's what it meant. And the meaning of the name is very, very important as you read the Christmas narrative. So they give him this name, Jesus, the name that the angel had given him before he had even been conceived. And when the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, you can go into Deuteronomy and Leviticus to see how this was done, After a baby was born, there was this whole purification thing that they had to go through. After it had been completed, Joseph and Mary, typical Jewish couple, took him to Jerusalem and to present him to the Lord, as is is written in the law, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. So they're following the book. They're doing what they're supposed to do out of, uh, this is out of Exodus uh, 13, for example, will teach the consecration of the firstborn to the Lord. And they had to offer a sacrifice in keeping what was in the Levitical law. Interestingly enough, Luke quotes the passage that says a pair of doves or two young pigeons. That was if you were poor. So apparently this couple was not well-to-do. And uh, they went with the offering that was acceptable for uh, if you were in in, uh, uh, a poor circumstance. Interesting. Verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. Again, obscure, we don't know that much, we don't think that much about him, but there is a fair bit of information written here about him. It goes by quickly, but there's a lot of detail given it goes by so quickly. He was righteous and devout. Uh, He seems to have been a senior man. He was waiting. You talk about hope. He was waiting for the consolation of of Israel. So, Israel, uh, what we would call the Holy Land uh, today, I mean, you have generations of kingdoms oppressing Israel for hundreds and hundreds of years. So, you, you first have the civil war that takes place because of Solomon's Problems, And you have a civil war, then you have the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans. Kingdom after kingdom after kingdom would dominate and control Israel. It would not be a nation independent and free uh, to be itself, to worship its God, and so on. It was oppressed for Hundreds and hundreds of years, he is waiting for the consolation, has hope in the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, get this, that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Greek term, Christ, for Messiah in the Hebrew. So this man, waiting, hoping for something that was not yet to be the consolation of Israel, he had apparently been told by God himself through the person of the Holy Spirit that before he breathed his last breath, he would see the Messiah face to face. Centuries and centuries and centuries, they were waiting for the Messiah to come. And it seemed, life seemed to be getting worse and worse and worse, and not better and better and better, but worse and worse for them. And yet he's got this hope in his soul that you are going to see him before you die in your lifetime you will see eyeball to eyeball the Messiah. Verse 27, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. temple is still standing at this time, so this would be pre-A.D. 70 when the Romans destroyed it uh, in the year 70. It has never been rebuilt since. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, right, they're following the book, Simeon took him in his arms. So, he takes this infant baby Jesus in his arms and he praised God. Listen to what he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now Dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. That's the non-Jewish world. Amazing insight. And for glory to your people, Israel. So what's he saying? He's saying, now I can die because now I've seen him face to face. My eyes have seen your salvation. That hope that he had for years was now realized holding this little, this little infant in his arms in the temple in Jerusalem in the first century. Amazing. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, listen to this rather, rather stark uh, words. This child speaking to this mom, this is her firstborn son. And this is certainly a very unusual circumstance and everything. But it appears that Simeon knows a lot more about Jesus than even his mother does. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. Wow, that's, I don't know if I'd want that for my baby. And to be a sign that will be spoken against. Oh, I really don't know if I'd want that for my firstborn son. So that the thoughts of many hearts, Mary, will be revealed And it's going to happen to you too, Mary. A sword will pierce your own soul too. Maybe referring to the fact that Mary watched her own son die some three decades later at the hands of the Romans um, on a cross. A sword will pierce your own soul too. That's a really strange, really stark uh, set of statements That are made about her firstborn son. Wow. It's not all. Then you run into this lady, Anna. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. Both of these people appear to be seniors. Certainly, um, Anna is. And one would presume Simeon was quite old as well. She was very old. Listen to the hardship this lady lived through. Uh, She lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. When you were a widow in that culture, that was tough living uh, because that was a patriarchal, male-dominated culture. And this lady uh, was widowed for most of her adult life, only had seven years with her husband, and then widowed until she's 84 she never left the temple, devoted, worshipped night and day, fasting and praying, and coming up to them, the couple, Mary, Joseph, and little Jesus, coming up to them at that very moment, so right on the heels of, uh, of Simeon and this, this experience that they had with Simeon saying these things about their son. At that moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption, looking forward. That's a hope statement, looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. What can we learn about hope from these two senior folks not often thought about in the Christmas stories? Three observations for you. Okay, number one. Hope sees beyond the current circumstance. For sure you could say this about Simeon and about Anna. Current <laughs> circumstances didn't look too good. I mean, they, they look pretty bad if you're, if, you're really, if you're really being honest and factual. They didn't look good at all. And yet these two are not at all surprised that God kept his promise. They're not at all shocked. I mean, Simeon sees it coming. He's able to identify who this little infant is. So is Anna. And they're, they're, they're very confident and very sure. They may be the most confident people in the whole, uh, the whole Christmas narrative, except for the angels, as to who this baby is. How did they get that confidence? How, what were they seeing? Because hope sees beyond the current circumstance. In fact, the more hopeless the circumstance that you're in, the more hope you can have. The worse it looks on the outside, the worse it looks in the present, the more hope can come alive and the more powerful hope can be. You have to have circumstances that don't look real good if by definition you're going to have hope. So Paul words it this way um, in the book of Romans uh, and chapter 8. And You can write this down, or if you're really quick, you can can flip there. I'm going to flip there, Romans chapter 8, verses 24 to 26. This is uh, what he says. Again, the whole theme of hope. He says this, verse 22, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time, speaking about the brokenness and the decay in creation, as if something needs to change in creation, as if it's not perfect, as if it needs to be fixed. Sound familiar? That's what happens when you have a pandemic. That's broken creation, okay? Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly, that's a hope statement, for our adoption as, uh, as sons or as daughters, the redemption of our bodies. So he's talking about somehow creation is going to be redeemed. Somehow the physical body of the believer is going to be redeemed. For in this hope, verse 24, we were saved. But who, But hope that is seen is no hope at all. So in other words, you have hope, but you don't yet see what you have hope for. Your hope is for something to happen, but you don't yet have what you are hoping for. That's the definition of hope. So it's going to exist and be alive in circumstances that are kind of opposed to what you're looking for and what you are hoping for. I say that to encourage you because some of you, you feel like it's hopeless. When it feels like it's hopeless, that's the perfect opportunity for hope. When the circumstance seems to be against what you're hoping for, that's a perfect opportunity for hope to actually start to grow, provided you've got a a reason to have it. So here he says, "...for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all, for who hopes for what he already has?" implication. We don't already have the redemption of our bodies. We don't already have the redemption of creation. That's obvious. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So this hope that Paul is speaking of is something that is persistent in circumstances where you don't see the thing you're hoping for at all. And some people confuse hope for the thing that they're hoping for. (laughs) The two are different. You can have hope for something... And never see that something in even your lifetime, and you can still have hope for it. You see this in the, in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, the hope that the patriarchs had, that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob had, and these people, they were living for something and hoping for something that technically they never saw. They never saw the arrival of the Messiah the people in the first century did in the, in the New Testament did, but some of the people, the, the great, great saints of the Old Testament hoped for something that they never even experienced in their own lifetime. It's fascinating, but that's that's the nature of hope. It's not that you have what you hope for. It's that you have hope <laughs> for something that you don't yet. Have. So it sees beyond the circumstances that you are in and it is alive even when the circumstances seem to be shouting against it. It's still alive. That is the definition of hope. Now there's silly hope and then there's Sane hope. I'll put it that way. There's people who have hope and they say, well, you know, I hope one day I'll win the 649 or whatever the popular lottery. I hope one day I'll win the Powerball. So I just keep playing the Powerball. Well, I mean, that's sure you could say that that's hope, but is that a silly hope or is that a sane hope? You know, you can write that in the comments section. It's probably a silly hope, but the hope that these people had The hope that Simeon had, the hope that Anna had, was a hope in God and God's faithfulness. For them, that wasn't silly at all. For them, that was very sane. So uh, next observation, yes, yes, you can have hope now. God doesn't play games with the idea of hope. He doesn't sort of have it on the end of a, of a carrot string that he's sort of pulling away from you uh, so that you're grappling to have hope. No, you can have hope now even though your circumstance may seem hopeless. So uh, example, uh, again, from the pen of Paul, 1 Thessalonians, the church in Thessalonica, he wrote two letters to, uh, chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. This is often read at funerals, this passage. Don't want to depress you, but you'll see the practicality of hope here. He says, I do, we do not want you to be ignorant to these people he's writing to, these believers in this first century church, about those who fall asleep. In Paul's language, that meant to pass away. Or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. So apparently you can have it and you can not have it. And here he's talking about people who have no hope in death no hope for anything afterward, no belief in anything afterward. And he's saying, I don't want you to grieve like people who have no hope for what's afterward. Why? Verse 14, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. So the death and resurrection of Jesus is his argument. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Now, we, I could go on a whole rant about uh, the technicalities of this and the idea of the rapture and all of that, but I'm not going to, going to go there for today. But for sure, he's speaking about something to come in the afterlife. According to the Lord's own word, We tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede, not come before those who have fallen asleep. So, he's talking about something that's going to come after even the grave. You talk about hope. Why does he have it? He has it because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. So, on that We can have hope for something even beyond the grave. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with a voice of the archangel, and the trumpet call of God. And after that, we who are still alive, oh, sorry, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's the redemption of the body that Paul wrote about in Romans. Here he sees it. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together and meet in the clouds to meet with the Lord in the air. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Well, it's pretty encouraging if you actually believe it. But that's a that's a hope that was sane because they said, "Look, if Jesus died and rose again, then we have hope even for what happens in the afterlife, even beyond the grave." So he's trying to encourage these people Don't grieve like people who have no hope. You have it in Christ, and you have it now. You're not reaching for it, you're not gripping for it. God's not holding it on the end of the carrot, teasing you. Oh, I'll give you a little bit of hope today. Now I'm going to take it away. No, He's saying, You can have hope now. Because of the certainty of the death and resurrection of Jesus. The author of Hebrews writes uh, this way about hope. Hebrews chapter 6 verses 13 uh, to 19. And he says, when God made his promise to Abraham. Old, old, Old Testament, right? That's book of Genesis chapter 12. Since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. God, so God making an oath using His own authority is the implication here, saying, "'Surely I will bless you and give you many descendants,' the promise to Abraham, Genesis chapter 12." And Abraham received what was promised. And he says, men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. That's the way that it was done back then. There would be this oath that was made, and it was usually made in front of a witness. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. Why? We get past the theological stuff into the practical stuff. Uh, God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for him to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. Watch this verse. Even if you don't understand the rest, watch this verse. We have this hope present tense. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. You ever seen an anchor? You ever been in a vessel uh, that was anchored? That anchor, when it is in the ground, that vessel, that boat is not moving. It doesn't matter how, how much water will attack that vessel. You drop the anchor and it holds the vessel in place. The only thing that can break it is if you break the connection between the anchor and the vessel. And here he's saying this hope is an anchor for your soul. It is firm and it is secure. You can have it Now, it's not something that you're waiting for when you die. It's something that you can have now. And uh, it's not mystical. It's practical. And it is power for your soul. Why? Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's why. I have people who ask me questions, people who are uh, not Christians who are... Uh, unchurched folks, if you want to use that term, at the food bank where I work a couple of days a week, you say, why do you believe? You know, why are you a pastor? Why do you? And I always go back to the same thing. I am unable to, to uh, explain away the death and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. That's why. It is an anchor for my soul. I don't know a lot of things but I know about the death and resurrection of Jesus. So uh, finally, and you see this in the lives of Simeon and Anna, and really you see it in the lives of people today who demonstrate hope. How do you grow it? How, wh- is there, is there uh, a sort of a process that happens where hope starts to grow? And in fact, there is, uh, but you may not have thought of it this way before. Again, reading from Paul here and thinking of Anna and Simeon, there's a sort of a cycle that Paul describes about hope, and uh, he writes it this way. Since we have been justified through faith, this is out of Romans chapter 5, verse 1, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, talking about the death of Jesus and how that opens this door of access to God, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Good. That's all good. Yeah, I like that. Not only so, verse 3. But we also rejoice in our sufferings. What? I don't want to rejoice in my suffering. Why? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. You keep going. At least when you interpret suffering in the right way, it's going to produce perseverance, because it doesn't always produce perseverance. You know, I think of people who suffer and they they go the wrong way. Their hearts get more and more bitter. But when you look at suffering as a tool, it grows perseverance, produces perseverance. And what does perseverance produce? Character. And what does character produce? Hope. It starts, cycle starts, when you go through hard times, it starts when you suffer and you're able to somehow process that suffering as a tool to grow your hope. Wow. That is a very mature way of addressing suffering, but it is a way that works and it produces hope and hope does not disappoint us. Hmm because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given to us. Anna, widowed for decades. That's suffering in that time, in that culture. That's suffering. Look at the hope that was produced in this woman. Simeon, waiting his whole lifetime... For this promise to be fulfilled. I mean, you're talking about Roman oppression in the first century. I always chuckle, you know, I look at our neighbors to the south and all of this hoopla, you know, the the election was rigged. And, you know, you've got half the country uh, yelling and screaming about supposed allegations of a rigged election and our democracy needs to be protected. Excuse me. In the first century they had no democracy. These people weren't living in a democratic society. They were under Roman oppression. And uh, it, it's a totally different thing when you're like you're you're fearful all the time because you are not free. And this is the way that they lived. In fact, this is the way that the people lived for hundreds and hundreds of years. And here you've got Simeon. He lives his whole life waiting for this promise to happen. That's a condition of suffering. Look at the hope that it produced. Uh, Modern day example, especially when it comes to uh, perseverance. I'll put his picture on the screen. I had not heard of this this man until I did a little bit of of research. Uh, His name is Tom Moore, and he's now uh, called uh, Captain Sir Tom Moore. And uh, you can look him up uh, online if you like and learn more about him. Uh, This man uh, broke the world record uh, for fundraising, eclipsing even Terry Fox. Um, And he raised upwards of $40 million single-handedly at the age of 100. This guy is 100 years old and still ticking, ticking very strongly. In fact, he's just launched another fundraiser that you can read about uh, online to combat loneliness. So he was recently knighted by the Queen of England at 100 years old single-handedly raised 40 million dollars for the British healthcare system by walking 100 laps around his garden at the age of 100. Now you've got to you've got to google around and look at pictures of this fellow and see him interviewed. I mean you're talking about class. With a capital C. I mean, what a gentleman. And this was not supposed to turn into this massive uh, happening uh, with him raising all this money. He wanted to raise money, but the idea was to raise money for uh, do 100 laps for his 100 years and, you know, give it to the British healthcare system as they're fighting against COVID-19. It started out as a challenge from his son-in-law to donate uh, a pound, about a dollar per lap, uh, or a pound in England, at least according to what I'm reading here. And this went viral when his daughter posted the campaign on an online charity site. Why would it go viral? Because there's hope in there. This guy's a hundred years old. He's, I don't, you know, he's overcoming certainly physical limitations, and he's saying, "I'm gonna bless. I'm gonna do something to bless the healthcare system, fighting against this dreadful pandemic." He's a World War II uh, veteran. And so he does this, you know, his family takes note of it, posts it online, it goes absolutely crazy, the news spreads, and suddenly this guy gripping his walker, wearing his navy blue blazer, decorated with his military medals, is like a rock star, uh, a national hero, so inspiring to people. That this guy would work up the energy to do that and raise this money. People are inspired by this because it's such a hopeful story. It gives people a light at the end of this COVID tunnel. And they say, what an inspiration. This senior man is 100 years old. And they asked him uh, questions about this. And uh, he says, uh, 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 what he told reporters about the experience, he says this, the first step was the hardest. The first step was the hardest. Isn't that true, right? After that, I got into the swing of it and kept on going. (laughs) That's so true of us. The first step can be the hardest. But it's in that first step that hope can come alive and that hope can grow. And when you're up against the wall and your back is you're you're in a circumstance where it just looks so black, that is the great opportunity for God to birth hope through your moment of suffering. And that's how it starts to grow. But it takes, certainly takes a somewhat of a mature perspective. Are you gonna let that suffering just drag you down into the dumps or you're going to say you know what that can produce something in me it's not just useless pain it can produce in me perseverance the kind of perseverance where a 100 year old man and a walker would say I'm going to keep on walking uh, the kind of perseverance he eclipsed even Terry Fox you want to talk about perseverance I mean a uh, 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 Practically superhuman uh, perseverance is what Terry Fox demonstrated. Uh, You know, those young people who are watching, if you don't know who Terry Fox is, please Google it. You'll learn about him in school, okay? Perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. And that's a great, great insight at the Christmas season. My goodness, if there was ever a time that we need hope to grow, Instead of doom scrolling, instead of all his bad news, instead of obsessing about the U.S. presidential election results and the pandemic and murder hornets and whatever else is going to happen in the closing days of 2020, we need to focus on the hope that God has for us in the person of Christ. So I'd like the band, if they would go ahead back and take their places and uh, they're just going to close uh, with whatever song that they want to do. Uh, but let me pray for you as they get set up, and then they'll lead. And when they're done, we'll, we'll close the stream. Thank you so much for participating and commenting. Uh, remember to share as well. And you can keep your comments going. You can reach out to me at any time. All of my contact info is on our Facebook page and or website. Father, we thank you for the great hope that we have in Jesus. And um, God, I I just pray for people on the other side of this camera. I I can't see them right now, uh, but I pray for them, Lord, as I sort of envision their faces. I pray for them. I pray for the one who got a diagnosis this week, and uh, I pray for her, Lord, that you would just you would just breathe hope into her soul, and uh, you would remind us, God, we have an anchor for the soul, even if we face dire news. We have an anchor. We have a Jesus. We have the person of the spirit. I pray for people who are watching or listening and they're not sure where they stand with you. God, I, I just ask that they would, they would breathe that simple, that simple call to you. God have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy on me and show yourself to me in this Christmas season in a real way, uh, Lord. We are we are just so thankful that our pain is not wasted, our suffering is not just for nothing. But God, you can use it to build in us a powerful and unshakable and unbreakable hope. So we pray that you would do that in our lives again and again in Jesus name Amen. God bless you everyone. We will see you uh, next week right back here at 1015 live from the Bible College. God bless you.
1: Children weep no more Hope is on the Messiah